welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. So smooth there for a second, and then it stopped being smooth. What's up, everybody? My name is C.J. Reynolds, and there's my doorknob because um, I have the door open because it's finally, you know, doable weather here in the uh, in the Northeast. Welcome. It's Sunday, which means it's Sunday night teacher talk at one o'clock in the afternoon, which doesn't match up, but we're going to go with it anyway. If you've never been here before, this is uh, this is the day where I wear shirts that are seven years old and uh, the hat, same hat, and I don't feel like doing my hair because it's Sunday, everybody. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the Captain Underpants movie is that song when they sing, I love Saturdays because everything is possible. And I feel the same way about Sundays. The whole idea of what we are doing here is to create a safe space for teachers to become the teachers that they are called to be. That we feel like teaching is a calling. Teaching is something that you are meant to do, not something that's just nice to do. And we're trying to be the teachers that we dreamed of being when we got into this position uh, or, or into this profession, rather. So we show up and we create this safe space for folks to ask questions about anything. We'll literally take questions about anything. Um, and the idea is because Sundays are the, the toughest day of the week for educators that people woke up this morning and they were already like, it's so close. It's basically Monday. It's one o'clock in the afternoon and it's basically Monday. And what we want to do is not have you feeling that way. We want you walking in to school tomorrow, feeling on point, feeling ready, feeling confident, feeling energized and excited, uh, no matter what the situation is. And I'm telling you, there's some situations. I know I have some situations going on with school and stuff this week. So it's been it's been it's been a wild ride already. So uh, we're going to jump into it in a second. If you need anything else, like if this is not enough. Um, so let me say this. If you have a question, you put it in the chat, put Q next to it or the word question is the easiest way for us to connect on there um, or, or to, to pull your questions out. The um, and you will not only get an answer from me. This is a, we believe that teaching is a communal activity so that the stuff that you are asking is something that everyone's going to see. And so other people might speak to that as well, which is a really good thing because then just like it lets me off the hook. I don't have to know every single answer because everybody else is going to be on there helping too. So, um, yeah, so that's it. And then if you, you, uh, you still getting geared up over there, mm-hmm. do you need a minute or, um, uh, yeah, because I, I don't know. The not-so-secret wife, if, if you don't know, one of the things I like to point out to people is when folks ask why my wife is not on camera, uh, it's because she doesn't want to be. Um, nope, not my jam. She looks so pretty today, too, but you can't see it because <laughs> she's over there on the side. Okay, we've got our first question. Our first question comes from it. Wendy. She's asking, what is the movie Airheads you were looking for two weeks ago? Oh. I'm obsessed with movie re- re- referrals like Uncle Buck from a few months ago. What other... What are other movies you would recommend for fun slash educational purposes? Educational purposes. Uh, I mean, we watch a lot of movies every year in school. We watch a lot of shows too. We watch. Um, we watch. Was that the? That's. The, I think she's talking about the one with. Yeah. We said swimming, swimming pools. pools. Yes, and that was. What was it from? It, it was from Airheads. Oh, it, it was. What it was called? Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler before he was Adam Sandler, uh, and. Uh, who else was in that? I forget who the other guy was, but I want to say Steve Buscemi was in that movie too, which was a total throwaway movie unless you were born at the right time. And there was this part in it where this girl who's like supposed to be like the sexy girl in, in the studio asks Adam Sandler, like, what are you thinking about right now? Because he she thinks he's it's going to be her. And he's like, swimming pools. And I, we have referenced that a gazillion times. It is one of those it's movies. Pretty Wendy knowing it. Yeah. There's not, it's, you know, there are certain movies that I can reference most of it, like Step Brothers. I think I know the whole exact script from that. I think the first Anchorman movie, I know most of the script. Uh, these are all Will Ferrell movies because I was going to say Elf. Um, you know, anytime, anytime we clean our kids' rooms, you know what? There's so much more room for activities. Uh, so that's, that's a thing. Uh, for school, we watch in the last couple of years, and this has to really depend on like what's going on in, in school and like um, with shootings in Philly and stuff like that. But 
uh, Shooter is a show that I've watched the first episode of um, Friday Night Lights, one of the greatest shows of all time. Watched the first episode of that. Uh, and for those, we like break down like plot development because those shows, those first episodes, like in a nutshell, are like pretty good to sort of look at that sort of thing. Um, sometimes we watch shows for all, all different reasons, right? Like, so if we're looking at characterization or character development or plot development, things of that nature, we watch different stuff. Um, first 10 minutes of the first episode of Lost, we watch every year as an intro to Lord of the Flies. Um, the hundred we watch every year, the first episode of the hundred as an intro or like as a tie in to Lord of the Flies. Gosh, what else? Um, we watch Troy every year. We watch parts of the Odyssey, which was a made for TV movie in like 1998, maybe 1999. It is awful. The entire thing is for free on YouTube, but it is, uh, there's just some, I want to have certain parts as visuals for students. Um, during the Odyssey. And then, yeah, so that's a mixture of the weird stuff that I just reference all the time and stuff I actually use in school. So great question. Yeah, it was a fun one. Um, I don't really know. This isn't someone that I know uh, you saying I'm oh. Japanese high school English teacher. Do you think we do class with English only? I don't really know if that's a question. Uh, that's a good question. I you know, So I think about this. When I was teaching in Camden, New Jersey, I had, uh, I don't know, at least half of my class was spoke Spanish as a as a first language, English as a second language. So I didn't have an alternative there. Like I didn't speak Spanish or I couldn't speak well enough. I mean, I knew some, but like I couldn't speak well enough that I could help students with that. But that didn't benefit the students, I don't think. I think teaching classes with both um, is probably what we're trying to do is help kids get to a place. So what we don't want to do is if you, you know, if you're going to run a marathon and you've never trained for a marathon before, you don't, we don't ask you to just run, you know, almost 22 miles from the jump, right? We have to ease you into it. We have to build confidence. We have to build know-how. We have to build a skill set. So I think, I, I mean, and, and, there might be other people that know that have a better sense of what to do, but I do think immersion is good. So students are in school, everyone's speaking English. It's going to, you're, you're going to grow from that. Uh, but so I, I would say even, even in just talking to my neighbor, so my neighbor is from India and his two little boys grew up. Well, one grew up in India and then the other one was born here. And um, they, so speaking at home, it's all in their native tongue. But then when he goes to school, it's all English. And I have seen them grow. It's really kind of mind boggling how much those two boys go to school and then they come home and how much they know. But I think that uh, if if we're thinking about kids, if we're thinking about how do we create a, uh, a system or a game so that kids can win, that that I think we we ease them into it, right? Same thing with with reading or, or any other thing like you don't just like drop geometry on a kid like they have to take algebra one first and, and you have to kind of build them up to that i really just made a ra math reference right there look at you look at me i don't know anything yeah. about math chris chong is asking hey reynolds i'm teaching a technology class and i keep getting new students joining my class two weeks into the school year i'm having a tough time getting caught up getting them caught up any advice uh chris i think um, whenever someone new comes in, I always let them know that I'll speak to them after class. I let them know that they just won the lottery because they get to have me as a teacher. Um, and I would say that even if I didn't feel like I was a good teacher, um, cause they don't know it's all about perception. And I think, is there, are there many lessons they can do to kind of get to, a specific point like like are there many is can you break down all the stuff you've done before into little mini lessons to kind of bring them up to speed on where you are and then i would consider having a conversation with admin and and letting them know like hey when is the cutoff point for students coming into the class because what's happening is kids are having to backtrack and then it's going to kill student confidence what we want to do is really help to empower students and to help them feel part of the team and to feel have the rest of the class feel a sense of consistency. Um, so I know like we have a drop ad period for a week at our school, but after that, that's it. Like your classes are locked in for the, for the 
for us, it's for half a year. Um, but yeah, so I would just like try and come up with little mini lessons that they could do and don't worry about like all the other little stuff. So if, so if they come to school tomorrow and it's Monday and you had a, something planned, I think the students that came in late are working on something else that you can check in with them when they can or take someone that's a really strong student and what they're doing now and help them help those students get caught up so that they know what's going on. I think empowering students to help one another is like one of the best things we can do as educators. Like, you know, if you think about it, I know this is a saying somewhere, but I don't know exactly how it goes, but to um, be like, kids can learn something, but if they can, they learn it well enough that they can teach it. When you can learn something well enough that you can teach others, you're all you're doing is reinforcing your learning, better understanding what's going through and, and, um, and empowering yourself because now you're, you're a boss because you're, you're able to help somebody else. Oh, he said, thanks. Most of the lessons have been editing techniques that I've demonstrated to the class. Uh, things he's, he's demoed on the computer, but I would consider in the future, if it's possible, can you make little videos or like at least record yourself doing that? That'd be good for kids. Like if you know your school is going to keep doing this sort of thing, like as they come in, you're just able to kind of, have a file yeah, have a like file stuff. of that. Or, or even if you find something on YouTube where, um, like, I mean, that's how I learned how to do all of my editing stuff is just by watching a gazillion YouTube videos. So it's like watching stuff on YouTube, um, finding videos that would work and then sending those to kids too is what I think I would try. I'm wondering if anyone else has an answer to that that actually teaches like a tech class that they could speak to Chris Chong's question about that. All right, next question is from Stephanie Shook. How do you, how do you schedule doctor's appointments, et cetera, for you or your kids with the silly middle school schedule and not use a sub. Her contract hours are 9.15 to 4.35. Uh, I don't know if there's a way around that. I usually just do it. Um, I've not had a sick day for myself in like 10 years. It's always for my kids or my dog. Um, it's not true. It's a, it, your sick days are like a doctor's appointment, like a dentist appointment, like something of that. Yeah, yeah but oh, all right, that, that's like fair. A, not like a true sick Because some day, stuff, yeah. especially with COVID hours, like, Man, like I had to go to the bank the other day. Oh, snap. We have to send oh, that normal. thing for the bank. That's normal. Are those normal hours? Yeah, they suck. The bank closed at five? Yeah, so Monday dumb. through like Wednesday or Thursday. That's so Now that everybody knows our bank schedule. Yeah. <laughs> TD Bank, man. Come on. Uh, I would, Steph, I've done like I'll leave school, go to a doctor's appointment, go to a recital, go to a, 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 a my dad comes to school day or something like that. And then I just come back. Um, so you just get like, sometimes my school will do this thing. And if your school doesn't do this, it's, it's worth thinking about. They'll hire a sub for the day. And if they know that there's going to be a couple, so like if it's planned out and they know there's going to be like two people out for part of the day or something like that, they'll just send that sub to different classes for the day. So they're only subbing a period. Otherwise, sometimes I just ask my friends at school if they would be willing to cover my class for an hour or two or a period or two. And then I hit them up on the back end. Like, the, like they'll, um, like when they're absent one day, they know they can ask me or I take them out for a drink or something like that. But it is, uh, that's kind of fun too. Like it's, it's a nice thing to be able to do where you're figuring it out. And then you go to admin and say, Hey, look, I need to leave. Cause I have a doctor's appointment. Um, but I already coordinated coverage. So-and-so is going to watch my class and we already worked it out together. And then, because I think part of the problem is going to admin. And I think this for any leadership, Leadership is far more to say apt to say no if they have to figure it out. They have enough stuff on their plate already. But if you can figure out the problem for them and go to them with the not a problem with an answer or just an update as to what's going on, then it just turns into easy. All right. Our next question comes from Jacob, and he's asking: My sophomores are four weeks into a children's book project and will be finished in two nice. weeks. I just got two new students. What should I have them doing? Play catch up or something different? Uh, that's a great question. Um. First of all, I love the children's book project. Uh, I'd love to see one if you could send it to me. Um, I think what if they did part of it, um, like a basic concept, and then I want to see uh, a, it, maybe it's like a pitch, right? So it's like a basic concept, like what is your story about? What does the cover look like? And how are you making this applicable to children? Something of that nature where it's like, here's the bit like, because children's books, look, I mean, the ones that we do in class are 
typically have a big idea. It's about unity. It's about um, Black Lives Matter. It's about, uh, you know, what it means, I don't know, to grow up on your block. Like, it's about bullying. It's about something like a big idea that has sort of been simplified so that it can be communicated to young people. Um, So what would they... So if you're pitching your idea to a publisher, so if you if you write a book, what you have to do is pitch your idea. So you have to come up with like your concept. Um, you want to be able to paint a picture of what this is going to look like. So maybe the kids are creating something like that. They're creating like a pitch to get their book picked up because they won't um, be there. You know, it used to be all the online, a lot of the online programs I've used in the past, like don't exist anymore. I need to find some new stuff um, for artwork and such. But or maybe just have them do like uh, what's the beginning, middle and end or just really do like a, um, a beginning of of the book, something of that nature. But I wouldn't have them do the whole thing and just let them know, like going forward, you'll be, of course, be a part of it. But it's not I think sometimes when you're just finishing something that took two weeks to do, it's not worth trying to. There's a lot of dogs going nuts out there. Sounds like a bobsled team. Uh, like bobsleds don't even use dogs. I don't even know what the hell I'm thinking. But um, it's not worth like trying to crush that in before they, you know, so they can just be a part of it. It's like just finish out the week, finish out the project, and then let them jump on board. Someone said that new students could review the books that the other students oh, created. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Like um, set up, I would even set up like a little judging table while they're up there. That's because you're extra and everything. <laughs> Um, okay, our next question comes from Jess. She's asking, my daughter is in quarantine until 9-29, so I am home with her. This is the first time I have ever taken sick time. What should I expect when I come back from such a long leave? Uh, so, gosh, until 9-29, that is a long time. Um, I, You know, one year when my daughter, who I'm looking at right now, was born, I had been back to school for a week. It was the first beginning of school. I was in school for like a week, week and a half. And then we transitioned to like my daughter was born. So I got to take a week off, week and a half off, whatever it was. And then it was like coming back to school from that. Here, here's what I think. It's not a big deal, especially if you if you like convey to your students like what you've been doing. Like, hey, I'm sorry I wasn't here. I had to take off. What the hell's happening out there? Gosh, Good grief. Someone's not getting attacked. Uh, so it is talking to kids about like why you're out. Um, I mean, you, you don't have to share all the information. It's 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 really up to you. But again, I've said this before. Sometimes when we give students are so used to being taken care of. Sometimes when we create opportunities for students to be empathetic about something or to care about someone. So whether that's you have a toothache, whether that's you have, um, you know, you're going through something at home, someone's sick. You know, you didn't sleep last night. Uh, you're anxious about something. You don't have to tell them why. You don't have to tell them like, oh, I got in a fight with my wife and I was up all night. Like, ah, everyone sit down, shut up. It's like, hey, listen, there's things, there are things going on outside of school that have me kind of worked up. I'm feeling some type of way about it. And so um, I need, I, like, I, I could really use a day, you know, or coming back, letting kids know like, hey, look, I might be a little bit discombobulated, a dif- little bit disheveled. I've been out of school for two weeks um, dealing with, uh, some sickness in the family, but I'm back now. So if I'm a little bit off or I'm, if I'm not a hundred percent or like it's not as dialed in as usual, that's where I'm coming from. That gives kids an opportunity to be empathetic. That gets kids an opportunity to take care of you. And, uh, and I think kids like in my experience, kids love that ability. So that that's all I would do. Emily Brady is asking, I have seven classes of 35 students and I only have about 15 to 20 students who consistently show up to class. How can I keep grading fair for everyone and stay updated? Uh, So, gosh, first of all, seven classes of 35 kids is, I'm sure you know, absurd. Uh, I would say, look, for me, what are you saying? What are do you think? Are you going to say it? Are you going to say fair is an equal? Yeah, <laughs> fair is an equal. Um, but if you have, so it, 15 to 20 seconds, 20 students who consistently show up to class. My question is why? 
like this needs to be a larger conversation with your school, with your administration, with your grade level chairs, with the other teachers that maybe are teaching the same grade as you. So because to me, it's like, are they missing because they're at a football game? Are they missing because they had because they have COVID? Are they missing because they just don't come to school? Because all of those different things are going to play a part of this. If you're out because you're sick, then I would just like I would have some sort of online piece to what we're learning so you can so if it's school g if it's google classroom or whatever you're posting your lessons on there so kids can still access them um and they can see what they're missing and they can see like what happened that day but like that it's not all of it right like if we could just post lessons online and not actually teach them our jobs would be would, would go away so um it, it it's not just that it's not just doing the work it's it's being a part of the process so I would, but if someone, so if someone is out for an illness or someone else is ill in their family, that's different. I have a student that missed a project last week because there was uh, something very serious hap happened in his family and he didn't get the project done on time. He got extra time, the, the end. I have other kids that didn't hand in a project last week because they just didn't do it because they were talking the whole time in class. And those students were told, hand in what you have. And I'm only grading that. And you do not get extra time because we need to learn that, um, there, there is no late work. It is uh, that like there's a reason we don't have homework, but because we don't have homework, we need to use class time as efficiently as possible. And then you were given several days to complete this assignment. And if you didn't do it, then that's that. Like you, you kind of make your decision. And that's really like it's such a low level penalty at this point of year two that what I'm really trying to do is get kids to see that like I'm not like like I'm being serious about what this is. Um, I've had other students that were out before for serious injury. I just forgave all the work that they missed. You were out for a month because you got a serious concussion. Don't make up the word, the work. What are you going to do? L read little words and that's going to make your head feel better. Um, but if I have kids that are just not showing up and there's no, like we, we aren't hearing anything from the school as to like why they, like there's no reason if they're just maybe not showing up or, or they're apathetic or whatever it is, get a zero. Like I just put zeros in the grade book. And I know a lot of schools are against that, but a blank in this, in the, uh, in the grade book will never make the 95% of the time. It's not going to make a kid come see you. They're not going to ask about what that, why there's a blank. They're just not going to ask because they don't want to, they don't want the answer, which is you have work to do. But if you put a zero, everybody will come speak to you about a zero. So if I am putting in work and, and, I collect something from a class. I'm inputting grades before the end of class. And someone says, Reynolds, I just forgot my work. It's in my locker. Can I give it to you next period? And I, if I do say yes, then I put a zero in. It's just as a placeholder because someone's going to make sure they come back to get that zero taken away. They're not going to come back to make sure that a blank space gets filled. So I think it's about having a larger conversation with students, with families. And, and that's a lot. That's way too many families for you to communicate this to. Um, but I would have a talk with admin. Then I would send out an email to all families. So like to students and their families, whatever email you have for their families and let them know the policy going forward. Just so you know, this is the policy going forward. If you don't have um, a valid day off, if, it, if the school doesn't sign off on it and you just didn't come to school, you will get a zero for all of the work. Like letting that kind of um, having that policy out there and look, can some of that change? Yes. What you don't want to do is have a kid who had three bad weeks because something's going on and they didn't want to talk about it. And mom didn't tell the school or whatever was going on. And then they fail for the year. I'm not talking about that. But um, if someone's failing really bad and they have a nine in your class and you can have a, a, a real talk with them and say, listen, you got a nine right now. Like we could basically put a plant in the desk next to you and that plant would have a better grade than you. Um we need to figure out a way going forward uh, because they don't do late work. But I do 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 do. Uh, I teach ninth grade. Um, I do allow for grace for um, moments of clarity for like if we're going to learn from this moment and change it going forward. Know that this is the only time I'm going to do this this school year. I'm making a special exception just for you, which isn't even always true. But you can tell the kid that anyway. And then um, it's it, it, what they're getting is the gravity of the situation and then you help them to build um out of that deficit going forward joe huber is next on deck asking how is your school dealing with the devious licks challenge what are your ideas on how to 
how to get kids to stop destroying bathrooms. I didn't know that that's what it was called. And it's even I grosser now. I told you that's what Devious, it was. That's what all the stealing yes, stuff? because they took the hashtag at least down off of uh, TikTok. But uh, our kids say that the videos are still up. Yeah, what is the DV? Well, I don't know what they understand call it that. It doesn't matter. It's about bathrooms. It does matter because it's licking in bathrooms. Well, I don't think you're really licking anything. You're destroying things. All right. So this wrong. is a great question. So I have a kid come in the other day and he tries to steal my paper clips. And he thought he was being funny. And I was like, bro, listen to what I'm saying right now. I need you to 100% listen to what I'm saying. Because I see what you're doing. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure I would have done any of this in high school. But I definitely would have told my friends. I get would have given them ideas. And they would have gone and done it. And I would have thought it was funny. Um, but oh, I need you to. What? Someone said licks is slang for stealing. Come on, see how you're not It's got it. Yeah, but but slang is so territorial, territorial, right? Like nobody else in the country says John, and we say John about everything in our school. Anyway, um, the idea is that I stopped him and I said, I need you to do me a favor real quick. Because I know you just think you're being funny, but I need you to look around. And I need you to see this room. And I need you to see all the time and energy and effort that I put into this room. That there were nights where I stayed till 4 o'clock in the morning because I needed to make sure my kids were in bed. I came back up to school until 4 a.m. to finish some of this stuff, to do all of this stuff. And that I do all this for you. I do all this for your classmates. I do this because school sucks and because I want it to be a better space than, than it would be otherwise. I'm trying to add to the good work that everyone's doing as a community in this school and when you come in and you steal things, what you're doing is you're, one, giving me a reason not to trust you. Because I trust all of my students. But just like my mom told me when I was a kid, I trust you till you give me a reason not to trust you. And also, you are taking from a school that has financial limits. That everything in my classroom I purchased myself, with the exception of uh, the books that I have in my room. A lot of those were purchased with school money. But like everything else I made out of my own pocket. So now what you're saying to me is that like, we're not like some rich school. We are a school where like, we have very limited means. So if you steal stuff, like, bro, we're not like some of this, we're not getting back. There's no money to pay for a new bathroom stall. There's no money to pay for like, if you steal all the hand sanitizer, like we're, we're not, we're, we're out of hand sanitizer. Like you ruined it for everyone. I need you to think about what you're doing for the people of your, in your community, in the school community um, and how your behavior is like, are you just trying to be cool so you can be cool and you're going to take away from everyone else? Like, like, let's have that conversation. And that's a conversation I have with all of my classes where it was like, and, and if I didn't, and if I taught in a more affluent community, community, it's really about having a conversation with students about power. Um, I, I've said this a million times, but I just think that students want power. They need power in their lives. They're, especially when you get to a certain age, middle school, high school age, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're about, sort of a thing. And kids have power, but you could have power and you could secretly fix something in school. You could secretly show up and do something incredible for something at school, but for or, or for someone at school, or like you could steal stuff. You could break stuff. Like, why not like secretly come into school and fill someone's classroom with balloons? That's a way funnier thing and more awesome thing to do for somebody. Why not like, you know, um, I'll, I'll say this in my in my actual neighborhood. Several years ago, there was this thing trending where um, folks were just walking up to someone on the street and like punching them and knocking them out. At the same time that that was trending, there was some two dudes in my neighborhood and we live in like a fairly rough neighborhood. We see, we live in like for people that have ever watched the wire, we live in season two of the wire. So the, at the local grocery store, um, this dude would wait in line, wait till ever, someone uh, had all their stuff added up. He would hear how much it costs. And then he would just walk past them, count out the money real quick, put it on the counter and just walk out of the store, just paid for it. And they did this multiple times again and again and again and again. And, and to me, it's like, you could walk up, you could walk up to the same person and punch them in the face, or you could have walked up and paid for their groceries. So I think what we're doing is, is helping kids to stop for a moment to think about the choices that they're making and think about if, if this is a power play, do you want power? And I can steal anything I want. And I can show everyone how I'm the man, or can you show up and like do something fantastic that is hilarious that adds to the world um, to add to people's experiences and do something magical instead. That's a conversation I'm having with kids. Um, oh, shoot. oh, Rebecca Wood said students are telling me it's just funny. They don't see 
it as being morally wrong. And so, so instead of down that conversation, it is, it's, it's so always the conversation, still. right? It's never the dictating. It's never the like putting kids down and telling them, you, I can't well, believe you guys are doing this. Yeah. You guys are doing it so stupid. Well, how would you like if someone did it to you? That's, that is a, that's a way to handle it. I just don't think it's the most efficient way to handle it. I think having a conversation with young people and saying, listen, let's talk about it then. Let me help you understand. Well, I think they don't realize it's like pointing, it's it's almost like pointing out the obvious to kids. I feel like we have to do this a lot of times in just parenting our own children. It's like pointing out the obvious and what they're doing. They don't even see that it's obvious. It's like, it's reminding yeah. yourself that you're still parenting or or yeah. molding children. And we did, ch- we did it too when we yeah. were kids. You know what I mean? Like we did. And something new will come up again yeah. on TikTok or wherever. Like, it's, But then we, when like, the same guy that was like breaking people's stuff when I was a kid, egging houses, right. um, destroying people's property just because we thought it was funny. Like that same person ended up growing up and then we would just have like barbecues in the park um, for anybody that wanted to eat there. It wasn't even for us. We would just have giant barbecues. Our friends and us would have giant barbecues. And, like homeless people would show up or someone that was in the park with their kids. Would be like, yo, what's up with these burgers are free. And then, yeah, man. And then like we would just share in it and like, you you use that same it's that same thing it's that same spontaneous kind of like what can we do that would be nuts have a barbecue and just invite everyone to it like the whole neighborhood um until you run out of hamburgers like but there's been you know instead of stealing stuff or screwing things up we had friends that like um we used to do this thing where everybody brought like their gently used baby items from walkers to strollers to clothes and then we would bring them all together and just give them away to people. We didn't even sell them. We would have it once a month. Everyone would show up. We would do this thing called the baby goods exchange and you would just give stuff away. So I just think it's that same muscle, but you're just, you're just changing it and and using it for the positive. What's that? Yeah. All right. Our next question is from John Fox. John Fox. If you get an interview for a position that is a very different grade slash subject than you have taught before and you're nervous about it, how should you communicate that in the interview, if at all? I don't know that I would say I was nervous because I also think, John, that, you know, I've said this before as well, like nervous energy is the same as adrenaline. So like when you are sometimes like scared, it's that same exact feeling of being excited. Um, I don't know that I would communicate that because what you're trying to sell, I think also in in a meeting is confidence. Like if you don't think you can, so let me, let's look at it this way. If you don't think you can adequately do that job, then don't go for the job. If you think you can do it. Um, and as my favorite poet, Anis Mojgani says, fingertips trembling, though they may be, um, it is, it is showing up and doing the work. Even if your voice shakes, even if you're nervous, even if you have to like keep going to the bathroom between periods or something like that, it's, it's having faith in yourself. So showing up like I can do this. I got it. And if you feel like you got it, like that, if, if like, if up against the wall, are you going to be able to do the job to show up for kids, to teach them and to do good work, then go and do it. If you don't think that's what you can do, then I would, I would not even go for the interview. Um, But my, what something tells me, look, for a guy that shows up on the middle of a Sunday and is missing the first part of the Eagles game, um, and his name's John Fox, just to ask this question, bro, you know you can do it. You know you can show up and put in the work, stay ahead of the kids, and then learn and grow and grow and grow and grow till you got it on lock. And then what a great experience or a great lesson to tell students at some point, maybe not this year, but even eventually, like, look, when I got this job, I didn't know what I was doing. When I got this job, I was I was nervous as hell. Like I I wasn't I didn't know with a hundred percent certainty that I could really bring it all the time but I did it anyway. And then if you remember what your why is, that will empower you. If you remember whatever that is for you, whatever your why is for teaching, let that guide you and drive you. I just think this too, John, that some people, my pastor was talking about this today, that you, if you get obsessive about something, if you get like really tight, hyper-focused on something, you can learn in a year what some people take 10 to learn. You can learn in three months what it takes someone a whole year to learn because you are, there's, you're 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 it's that old viking saying that i don't even think is true like you're burning the ships at the shore so there's only one way out of here there's no going back and then just get after it like that you're gonna 100 pull it off it's only angel 
is asking student teacher here from a family of teachers a few days ago in our family text gc five of them went on a rampage of hate about non-binary students from mentally ill to attention seeking and it's a two-parter gc is group group chat oh thank you uh i called them out they just said i was being hateful to the family i wasn't i wasn't just told them their words were hurting people and this is my welcome to the real world glass shattered any coping advice this wow man i'm really sorry that that happened um i i think you know when we get in places and spaces like that i think there's two i'm going to call them obligations one is to speak your truth always um and two is to enter into those moments with curiosity and that i think one is a little bit harder for people i have a family that um is I mean, certain members of my family are very racist where like they show up to Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, and they have a, a you know, a comment or they will, they, and they know what I'm about. They know like where I work. They know that I work with all black and brown children. That's all I've ever, where I've had like three white kids ever in my whole life um, that I taught. They know where I live. They know, they know what I'm about. Um, but it's like, they just either don't care or they get that it matters like that that bothers really me sinks in it's almost people. yeah because like, you can see how they talk them, about it really. it's not they're not trying to be like mean to me no. they're just like oh people like that you know how black people are or you know how like you know oh you're from another country like learn how to speak english like that kind of conversation and i always go with you know it's really interesting to me that you say that like what i'm wondering where that came from or like why why would you, why would you think that? Um, and, and so, and then me saying, you know, cause I'm curious because in my experience at the school that I work with, uh, this has been the trend or this is like, if I was going to make a, like a overarching, um, like, what am I thinking of? I'm blanking right now. Like if I was going to make an overarching sort of like generalization. Know, generalization, I would say probably this is more the case. Uh, so like, if my family's like, you know, everyone, they're always shooting one another up, right? And, and like black and brown communities, the, 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 first of all, they don't say black and brown communities, but like um, they would say like wh whatever they're saying and say like, they're always shooting each other up. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Where, why do you think those kids are carrying guns around? And then I would talk about how like, I know young people that have carried guns around, but it's because they're very nervous because they get beat for their shoes every single time that they don't know, they don't feel safe in their own communities. Um, they don't feel like they can go outside ever. And so what are, what I'm, I'm just curious, like, what would you tell young people that were in that that situation? And you're either going to do one of two things in having a conversation like that when showing up with curiosity, you're going to either have someone learn something new, or they're never going to want to talk about this stuff ever in their lives in front of you again. Like you are the one that just killed the fun. Like, cause it's like, now I'm going to ask back. Of course, I'm going to push back. Of course, I'm going to enter. Like, because what you're saying is so, is, is something I cannot understand, right? I'm not even going to say it's bad. I'm not even going to say what you're saying is wrong because because someone's not going to hear that, right? They're immediately going to stop and not want to listen to you. If I go in there with curiosity, I'm just going to curious you to death. And then like, because what you're saying is wrong. Um, it is filled with hate. Um and it does come from a place that is not of love. So I'm going to push back. The other thing that I will occasionally do is the opposite. I just go, listen, right now, I'm going to let you know, I'm not the person I'm talking to you about this. I work with these particular students. I've had these particular experiences. This is the life that I've created for myself and I've been called to do. And talk like that does nothing but just hurt the world or 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 speaks it like breaks my heart actually that you would even say that to me so i'm just let you know right now that i'm not having that conversation and it cannot be said around me or my children we're gonna have an issue it's either way right but it's trying to figure out what is because because some folks i just know like the curiosity thing like they're just going to be it's just not going to it's not that conversation like they're not that person and so some people you just got to lay it down and just let them know and then it is what it is here's the thing you're they're having that conversation with you 
because they think that you will get down with it because they think you're going to be okay with it because they think it's not that big of a deal because they think, oh, you know what I'm really saying. I don't really think that you're saying it. So you think it and that means you're doing it and you're making the world a worse place. I'm saying I'm not being a part of this. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's what it is to stand up for what you believe in. That's what it is to, 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 to push back. Um, and we have an obligation to, to, to the people in which we are working with that we are that I don't want to say serving, but we're in community with um, in our schools and with our students that we need to say something to that. Like, you know, and I don't care if you think that's wrong or not. Like, so for, for those folks that like might even not believe in this sort of thing, or like they think that, it, you know, there's no such thing as like gender identity. It's not about that. It's not about what the hell you think is right. What it's about is helping students to feel safe, helping students to feel heard, helping students that, that when you are growing up, if you guys can just remember, it is about you're so confused about a million things, right? From the kind of music to to what am I wearing to who am I hanging out with? Should I have sex? Shouldn't I have sex? Like, should, should I try drugs? Should I um, like who who am I? That is the question growing up. Who am I? And when we can create a safe space for students to explore and express who they are, what they think and what they feel, we can help them find answers to that. Like, or we actually create space for them to come to their own conclusions because I can't tell you who you are. Um, that is the greatest gift we could ever give to kids. And instead of telling them that they're wrong, that they're stupid, that this isn't real, it's like, well, talk to me about that. I'm curious. And showing up with love and curiosity in your heart instead of like telling kids no and slapping their paw or some something like that. Somebody so, just commented and said, I'm a non-binary teacher and my non-binary kids are just regular teenagers. They all, I mean, it's, this, it's the fact. Like, yeah. uh, and, and look, but they have to grow up with different things. I, I'm going to, I'm going to hurry up and finish this. They, like my students are just kids, yeah. but they grow up a hell of a lot. My, my boy is 14. He's the same age as my students. But he gets to grow up and in a it's it is a different world. world. It is. is a different world. All right. Ashton is asking, oh Lord of the Flies, what are your Lord of the Flies hot takes? What will I hear during your class analysis? Analysis. That, analysis, sorry, that I wouldn't hear in other classes. I love teaching Lord of the Flies, and I know it's not everyone's jam. Um, I teach a lot of old white guys because that's mandatory, but what I do is I try and flip it. I think Lord of the Flies is anyone who's ever not shown up to on time to class knows it's going to get wild in there, or with some kids, some kids are going to be like, there's no one around, there's no teachers, they're going to like... That's when something gets stolen, something breaks, someone bothers someone else. That's when some kids step up and lead the class. That's when someone stands up and tells someone to shut up and sit down and be cool until the teacher comes there. That's when someone goes to look for help. Like it's all those same sort of personalities that are in the book. If you don't show up for class, right? If you look at, um, you know, it, I think that it's really a kind of a hot, it's a look on who are we, who are, what's our character, right? Who are we when no one's looking? And to I, I think that that's there's so much there to talk about. I think there's so much to talk about with regards to the toxic masculinity, with growing up, with power, with who are we, with the man. There's a, a really great movie that we watch um, called uh, The Mask We Wear. And we watch parts of that. And, and so it is um, the, the mask we wear is hold on one second. There's something wrong with this. Um. So there we go. So, sorry. Uh, where it's like, as Jack and his crew sort of there, they become more and more what they refer to as savages in the book. Um, they start like painting their faces and growing their hair long. And they're almost unrecognizable. They say that they're unrecognizable from the boys that showed up at the beginning of the book. When that sort of thing happens, um, I, I, to me, it's like, well, who are you when you put on a uniform? Who are you when you're with a certain group of friends? Who are you when you, if you joined a gang or you are like identifying, like I live in Southwest Philly as opposed to South Philly or, you know, in our, you know, in Philly right now, there's a lot of, um, there's war, like actual war going on between blocks. So like this block has beef with this block for whatever reason. And if you're born on that block and you rep these people, do you just go along with everything that they say or do you not? 
right? So like if you are, if you do join Jack and Maurice's squad, are you going to do anything they say? Are you, gonna, are you willing to kill for that? Are you willing to hurt other people for that just because you ride with this squad? And I think it's an interesting look into those sorts of dynamics. And then we also talk about leadership. Um, and what does it look like to be a good leader? What does it look like to be a bad leader? What does it look like um, to like who shows up and leads? And then the last time we did it, we went to an escape room with the students. And it was interesting to just sit back and watch who's going to take the lead on this. Because everyone starts out by doing their own thing. But they quickly realize that like we can't all just do whatever we want. We have to work in unison with one another. Otherwise, we're working apart. So that team and group dynamic come together. And then having kids talk about a lot of those things, too. Sorry, I lost my place. It's all right. Take your time. I can sing oh, a song. Yeah, no, I got it. Thank you. I keep thinking I have to take this Kobe Bryant book in the school because kids keep asking me if I have it. And then every week I sit here and I go, oh, there's that book. When we're done, I have to remember to take it. And then I forget. I might take it off your shelf. Okay. Meg Cooper is asking, how do you pivot from having fun and joking around with your students to getting down to business when needed? I love joking around with my students and building relationships, but sometimes... It's a two-parter, and they're hard to find. Oh, dang it. Sometimes she has a hard time coming back from it. I, I know yeah, this yeah, because yeah. literally, I, I believe Meg Cooper part. asked this question last week, and I went and made a whole video on it this week. So that video is coming out, uh, if not this week, the following week. The short answer is there's a lot of different things that you can do, but it is, I think, the short of it is holding a mirror up to students' behavior and saying, this is what I'm seeing. And I, this is like being funny, carrying on, doing crazy stuff is part of who I am. But if we can't transition back to like, like actual class or getting stuff done, like then we can't do that. So how about we have a conversation about what could we do where we're like having fun and everyone's being silly and like we have a dance party, we have a dance off, we have um, some joke goes left. The other day I had a kid try and walk over a desk um, and before I could say stop doing that, he the desk tipped and he fell and it like landed right on his back and um, it was a whole thing and the class lost it. And so when you're doing stuff like that, um, you're it's like how do we get back to regular class. So it's it's about, I think, having a conversation with your students about um, either what do y'all think we can do to transition from thing to thing, or you already having a sense in the back of your head of like, this is what I'm gonna do. So like, you all know that like, when we do this, this is the sign of what to do, and then we go back. So for me, I just count back from five. Um, I know my friend Megan Forbes, too cool for middle school. She does, she has a, uh, uh, like a bell in her room a doorbell that she hits um i use a megaphone sometimes because it just cuts through the stuff and it's really loud and i don't use it very often in class but like when i need everyone to just hear me i'll be like yo i need everyone's attention on me in three two one and then that's it so five seconds later i have complete you know cooperation from the class and then we can transition into what we need to get done but i have a there's like 10 more things I could say about this and how to do that and the nuances and what if that doesn't work and all that stuff, but that video is coming out. I just shot it the other day. All right, it's only my angels asking. I called them out and they just said I was being hateful. Oh, you, oh. we did that one. Oh, that was their... their I, maybe that, yeah, they had a second there part. There is another, oh, maybe I didn't realize. Okay. Cool. Harris is asking, any tips on how to deal with small classes and getting them to participate? I teach seventh grade science. Um... You know, you know, here's the, isn't it funny? Big classes are too big to do some stuff with. Here's this dog eating somebody again. I don't know what's going on with his life. Um, something like big classes are too big to do some stuff, but small classes are too small to do some stuff too. Like sometimes you get like a really small intimate class and it's like, we can't read a play like this. Like, or because you don't have the, you know, if you don't have enough dine dynamic characters in the class and everyone's just kind of like chill then it's like this gets very very difficult to do um if i had a really small class i think what i would do is having them work on projects or group projects together i'd have kids maybe learn on pro work on projects and then teach something to the class so they're actually doing something um i would 
get outside of the classroom, like get somewhere where it doesn't feel like it's this big. Maybe we're teaching. I'm, maybe I'm not standing in front of the whole class. I've had classes where I just sat in the small and I have pictures of this that have showed up on my website and stuff like that. Instagram where the class was so small that we just sat in a circle. I didn't teach from the front of the classroom. I taught it was almost like a family dynamic. I brought in snacks. Kids could drink water. Um, we would like have conversations and and, and learn like um, like we were like it was family style, almost something like that. So that to me, it just changes what you're doing is you're not trying to fit the school dynamic into that small class setting. Instead, you're letting saying, OK, we have small class. How could this be interesting? How could this be fun? How where could we learn from? Could we actually learn in the hallway? Could we go down to like some cool spot in the school where there's like a bunch of chairs? Could we sit out front on the steps because there's only five or six of us? Could we um, take a walk and learn about something? Could we take a walk down the end of the corner of the where the school is and talk about something outside? We could, you know, because all that classroom management stuff is going to go out the window unless you have like that one kid, but that's that's one kid. But like you are looking at your school, looking at the, the your community in which you teach and thinking, how could we shake this up and just make it a completely different experience that's going to be far more immersive for students and exciting for students. And it's not going to be, you know, like my, my other classes have to be in rows because there's no other way because I have 33 kids in a classroom that should only have like 14 kids in it. Um, that you just can't move a mass of people like that. But I think it's about reimagining education when you have those small group dynamics and it can still be the same stuff. Like you don't have to change the content so much. You're changing the delivery or you're changing the anticipation around it. You're changing the way that they're engaging with it, but you're still learning the same stuff um, largely. So learning the same stuff, um, even doing it the same way largely is what I meant. John is asking, how long do you sit at your desk during class? I know teachers who spend most of their class time sitting behind their desk. Am I missing it? This just seems wrong. I don't sit at my desk at all during class ever. Um, if I do, it's for a very specific reason. So it'll be like, um, we are, it's, they're handing in, they're, they just did projects. So the, right now, like the other day, I did this where I was sitting in the back of the room at a student's desk kids presented and then I needed the last five minutes to just tally up scores. So I was like, yo, if everyone wants to like go on their phone or something, that's fine. But I want to use this time because I want to give you your, I want you to walk out knowing what you got. That's that to me is different. Um, but, or if it's like end of the trimester or end of the quarter and I want to have like, or it's a week out or two weeks out and I want to have like student conferences, I do that. But no, like to me, teaching is like, uh, you are, you're a DJ, you're moving the crowd, you're doing different things and trying to get people moved and excited and doing things and motivated and sitting with kids individually and helping them walk through stuff. Like it's all of that kind of stuff too. So no, I never sit down. Next question comes from Arwa. I hope I'm saying that right. I apologize if I didn't. Uh, hey Reynolds, I'm a student in the College of Education. I have micro teaching next week. Um, it's my first time to teach ever. Any tips and advice? Uh, I would say, one, try and have fun with it. School can be a very, very boring place, right? So try and do something that's fun. Two, don't expect that. So depending on the school, depending on, on, they might give you a class that's great and they go along with everything and they love stuff. They might also give you a class that's just like, what? What is this? Why are we listening to you? Um that those kids, it's not that they don't like you. It's not that they're not interested in what you're doing. It's that you disrupted their norm. And so um, getting them to buy in by showing them that you care and saying like, hey, look, I know I'm disrupting your class. Uh, I have to do this for school, but let I'm going to try and have like this little mini lesson and have it be as fun as humanly possible. What I want you to do is walk out and this is the best thing you did all day. Uh, that's, that's how I would, I would, address it. Um, and then I would have some very clear questions for the person that's observing you. So I'm, I'm going to assume you're getting observed um, and saying, hey, look, here's some things I'm going to try. Here's what I'm wondering if it's going to work. Uh, so if you could give me feedback on this, it's great. So right now, and we've talked about this before, it's like now you're on offense instead of defense. You're not just wondering what someone's going to like or if they're going to think it's cool or if they thought it was actually a good lesson. You're actually going into it saying, hey, look, 
I hope that you watch. I hope that you're paying attention. I hope that you take notes. Could you just um, let me know how I do on these? Like, I'll take any feedback that you have also, but look at these two to three to four things. I'm really curious as to what you think about those. That I think is good because now you want the feedback. Sitting down for the meeting afterwards isn't this awkward conversation of like, oh gosh, like, you know, what are they going to say? It's like, no, I already know. Like, hey, what'd you think? Um, what was their feedback on that on those particular points? And I think that that's going to be uh, what's going to win. But just try stuff. Go crazy. Try, try something nuts, right? Here's the thing. It's either going to work or it's going to make a great story. Either one of those is fine. You're going to learn from either one of them. Tiana is asking, what do you do with students whose parents don't sign or don't agree to the movie permission slip of the book we are reading? Uh, I would... That's a great question. Um, I would go to your admin and talk to them about it, or I would talk to your, your, uh, whoever's in charge of like your department because different schools are going to handle this differently. Um, so for me, I've had that happen before where like I had a student that was extremely, his family was very religious and they did not want him watching. Like, I forget what it was that we said. Oh, we went to go see a Christmas carol and they were like, Nope, we don't, we don't get down with this. It has magic in it. There were all these kind of pieces in it that they didn't agree with. Um, so we had to just figure out an, uh, an alternative for that child. Um, but I, sometimes it's like, there's certain movies or TV shows. So with my, when I taught seniors and we would watch in my hip hop class, we would watch the movie American history X and, not all parents felt comfortable with that. And that's fine. It's a very, it's, it's a, it's a crazy movie if you've never seen it, but um, they, so we figured out an alternative assignment. We figured out a place and a space for that child to go and work. So it was like, never, we never set it in front of the whole class. You don't make a big thing out of it, but then there's like some sort of alternative. Um, that's not punishment, right? What you don't want to do is have something be difficult for that kid or harder because they, because their mom or dad said no. Um, but your school might already have an answer as to how to deal with that. Uh, so that's that's why I say like go speak to someone in your school or maybe even another teacher that might have an answer. Someone that's going to have a good answer for you, not just any teacher, not just because they're the other ninth grade teacher or something. It's a dog outside. Yes, um, so not just because of the other English teacher or the other history teacher or something like that. You want to go to the person that probably it's not just going to give you the answer you want, but it's going to give you like a well thought out answer. Uh, my next question was supposed to be from Ms. Gonzalez, the art teacher, but it got deleted off the thing. Oh, so snap. I can't. If you can put it in, I messaged her and asked her to put it back in. She's going to. Um, let's see. Let's go to a new one. Can you open the door for the Yeah. Michelle, sure. we'll, be right back. We'll go to Summer Tate. She's asking a parent wrote a note for me stating that she instructed her daughter to tell her everything controversial that is taught in my class, especially regarding events from the last two years. That is hilarious. I see on Facebook, there's like, I told you, there's a mom that I know that she now homeschools and she went on a rant talking about how teachers are indoctrinating all their kids, especially in New Jersey. And I'm like, I don't really see, I don't know. I not in our group of people or in our you know, Facebook group. I don't see anybody that's teaching like that. Um, so that's an interesting question. I. Yikes. Summer. Oh my goodness. What would I do with this? <laughs> I think I would not change one thing about how I teach. Nope. I would instead have the conversation with the parent. And so that would look like, Hey, look, this is what we're talking about. We are talking about Many, no, I mean, if we're talking about the last two years, it's like we're talking about politics. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We're talking about Asian hate. We're talking about um, sexual identity, like whatever the thing is. One, right? Let's uh, let's take it from both sides. Are teachers trying to indoctrinate students? I don't know every teacher in the world. Maybe some of them are. Maybe some of them are trying to like, you know, get kids to hate Donald Trump. They're trying to get people to you know want a certain person on the supreme court they are saying that like it's all right to just punch a uh, korean woman when you're walking the street like i don't i don't have no idea where people are coming from and what they're doing so the idea that a parent wouldn't trust in a system like the school system kind of makes sense to me i trusted my school system and 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 they did not do my 
own children right. Those of us that teach young people know that sometimes schools do not make sure that that students that like we don't have to test for dyslexia. Like that's so asinine to me when so much of the human population has dyslexia. It's not something we talk about. It's not something we address. It's not even anything you teach in, in yes. teachers. <laughs> so I think that when we look at parents and, and they're questioning what we're doing, by all means, do it, right? Question, 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 go ahead. Then I would remember why I'm doing what I'm doing, get very clear on why I'm talking about what I'm talking about, how I'm talking about it. Am I am I dictating something or am I facilitating something? Am I pushing my views on students or am I simply sharing both sides as, as best I can without, you know, because it's really impossible to like not have some sort of like influence, but um, it is, it is the, me showing up like that and then having a conversation with parents and letting them share, like, well, we did talk about this thing that clearly bothered you because you called me or wrote me an email about it. Um, I'm curious as to why that, like, I'd love, I'd love to hear your, your take on how you think that is indoctrination because I'm not even going to say you're wrong, right? This is where I always go back to. It's always curiosity. It's not even saying that you're wrong because I want you to actually talk about it. And if I say that you're wrong, you're not going to talk about it. Um, I'm curious how you came to that end or why you, why you think that or how you think we should be doing something different or what was what worked better in the past. Um, or do you have like, so, like including folks in the conversation, but never changing my course because a parent like maybe the, maybe the parents wacko, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're on point. So I think summer it's that kind of a thing where I'm still going to do what I'm doing. I I expect that the the you know the outraged email or phone call is going to come, and then having that conversation, and then I would take that to your team as well at school. I would take that to your uh, to your admin and let them have the conversation um, with the parents because that's not your job you're not creating curriculum necessarily so she said one thing i didn't see the comment after her she yeah. said i teach history so everything is controversial yeah and that's fine because what we're doing right now is in a lot of ways we are rewriting what's been said in history books so people that have like issues with like critical race theory mm -hmm. right i i think that the best thing we can do is sit down and have those conversations instead of just saying what's right or what's wrong or like looking at like even the founding fathers with a more holistic view of like, yes, the way they were able to do stuff was by having slaves. So let's have that conversation. It doesn't mean we're demonizing everyone immediately, right? Like, and 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 maybe some people we are and for damn good reason, but it is, it's about opening up the conversation. And I think when we do that, we are modeling for our students what it looks like to have a conversation with someone that does not have the same viewpoint as you that we as adults need to be able to show our young people what it looks like to have a healthy discourse on by between two people that have opposing views without just canceling one another right i think that and if we can't do that if we can't model that then we're in trouble because then we're telling kids to do something that we're not willing to do all right i got miss gonzalez's um question cool and this is probably going to be our last one since it's two o'clock. Outside of your co-taught classes, do students have IEPs and 504s in regular classes? If so, how do you handle modifying for those kids? And if not, how would you? My kids are all mixed together. Yeah. So the the, the model in our school is um, if there's the reason I have co-taught classes is because the because there's a certain number of students with IEPs and 504. So when you reach a certain number um, and you're in a tested Class, like, so we, you have to take state tests in English. Um, you have to have a co-teacher in there with you. Um, in classes that I don't, I still have uh, a, quite a few kids that have 504s and IEPs. Plus, I tend to get kids that are just like, even that don't have those particular sorts of learning differences. They are, uh, they get in trouble a lot. They, you know, they have tricky family lives. They like the school, the traditional school model. It wasn't really created with them in mind. I get a lot of those dudes also. So in those classes, what I try to do is um, I, I try to make, so look, I'm never changing what I'm learning, but generally the kids that 
um, could do like regular ed work, like they could do like if they're in a B level class. Um, so they're not honors, they're not uh, AP, but they're not like in uh, coach hall or like a remedial class. So kind of like that average student line, those kids generally benefit off the fact that like, like I'm, if I'm going to do guided, like, so if some of my classes, I don't ever do guided notes because they can handle that. Um, in a class like that where I'm by myself, it's like, well, now everyone's going to do guided notes because I'm not going to give it to some kids and not other kids because I don't want everyone to know that that's why this kid's getting it. Um, but I change things like the tests. I change things. If I do have homework, I change things like I try to make sure that student has enough one-on-one -on -one time or at least is meeting with me or someone else. I make sure that I'm communicating with those parents a lot more and, and communicating with them like what the opportunities are or, or like what the what the work is being done, what the expectation is and, and things of that nature. Um, the amount that someone has to read, whether or not they get to use an audio book instead of just a, like reading from a regular book, the level of a book that they might read, the if we're doing something like a scholastic thing or we're using something like ListenWise, um, which is uh, NPR's like, they have a partnership. I did a video on this. Listen wise is like, um, it is podcasts that have a written component to them. So, but you can change the Lexile level. So I'm looking at those sorts of factors as well to make sure that students needs are being met. What I find largely, and this is, I mean, gosh, this has been both schools I'm at. I'm, I'm sure other people can speak to this as well. I find that so many times IEPs are so whack anyway. They're so cookie cutter that it's like student has to answer, um, has three choices out of instead of four choices. Student gets to sit in the front of the class. Student has um, can be given directions a number of ways. Student has, you know, it's all stuff that I'm going to do for everybody anyway most of the time. I mean, not less choices on a test, but like all the other stuff is like stuff I'm like, I, of course, I'm going to explain directions multiple times. Of course, I'm going to give everyone the seat that they need. Doesn't mean in the front, because I have kids that have IEPs and I get pushback sometimes too, but I give them stand-up desks in the back so that they're not a distraction to themselves or to others. They can stand up, they can move around a little bit, they can wobble on a board, they can do things like that. But that doesn't mean you're in the front. Like I think in front is just an easy answer. So it's really trying to... Um, differentiate in that sort of way. I think the other thing that you do, and I've talked about this a gazillion times, I cannot underscore it enough, is you call parents, you call whoever's at home and you say, what do I need to know about your kid that's not in the paperwork? How can I best be there, be the, help them find the most success that they can have? Um, and what class did they love before and what class did they not love? And what were the differentiating, differing, differentiating factors in those two classes that made that student uh, more successful in one than in another. And then I use all that information and then that's how I'm really rolling out my class and helping those kids to find success. Cool. Yeah. All right, gang. Uh, look, I know there's a lot more questions. I know that people can only show up at a certain time and I really apologize, but um, in the, I'm trying to really model even on social media this year, like what boundaries look like. I'm trying to look, show like what does uh, like taking care of yourself look like as an educator? Cause, cause so many people are like, you know, killing themselves this year, really, like with the amount of work that they're doing. Um, we have people that show up at school sometimes. Um, there was a young guy that was like almost in tears the other day that I spoke to at school because um, he's just running himself ragged. And so it's uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to live that out, not just say it, but live it. So right now I'm going to go to my buddy's bar. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to go watch the Eagles play and uh, eat some South Philly uh, roast beef sandwiches. And then um, that's it. And then watch The Crown tonight because that's what I do. I watch The Crown. Um, is that it? That's anything it. else? No, yeah. Cool. All right, gang. If you need anything else, you can check us out at realrapidreynolds.com. Um, take that question now, buddy. Yes, I can. Um, and or you can check us out on social media. Follow us there. And we will. Yeah, that's it. So we'll see you next week. Bring your friends. and We'll talk to you then. Is that Peace. it? Peace.